Guys, it's a fact of life. The older you get, the less resilient your body becomes. Whether it's recovering after three hours of basketball or three hours of drinking, my 33-year-old body just doesn't bounce back like my 23-year-old body did. Uh, but hey, that's not such a bad thing. That departing physical resilience leaves a wide open space for some wisdom to move in. That wisdom enables us to more carefully consider the cause and effect of what we put our bodies through. Maybe that means switching to light beer, or perhaps actually warming up before you play basketball, or stretching afterward, or generally speaking, just taking care of your body a bit more consciously. But even if you do take care of yourself, over time, little bad habits start to compound inevitably, until one day you realize your sternum is quite sore for no good reason whatsoever. But that's just what happened to me. So that's when I met physiotherapist Jesse Roy. In season one of How To, I learned what can happen if you ignore the warning signs or live a hard life. You end up on the operating table in front of people like David Amiro. From what I can tell, a big part of Jesse's job as a physiotherapist is to make sure that surgery is only a last resort. So if you've ever wondered why it's important to do more than that one hour of sport per week, or how someone deals with the pressure of getting people back into shape, or even what that chunk of your employer's health coverage is actually used for, then keep listening, because this is Mike Syme with How to Be a Physiotherapist. Jesse Roy, thanks so much for coming today. I've been more interested in physio since, certainly since I spoke to David Amiro, the orthopedic surgeon, and certainly since I've been getting older and I need to start taking care of myself and understand the cause and effect of things. So I'm very excited to learn about all things physio. Thank you very much for coming, Jesse Roy. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, my pleasure. So why are you in uh, physio? Like, how did you end up in a health-related field? Um. There was an evolution to that decision-making. Uh, I knew I always wanted to be in healthcare. I didn't know in what capacity. You know, I had exposure to physiotherapy growing up, but um, it wasn't until later in my bachelor's degree that I kind of look at my various options, and physio really appealed to me because I get to do, and what am I going to talk about today, but get to help people in the full sort of um story of their rehab so from the beginning to end it's just really addictive to help people so I I think I came naturally to it because I wanted to help people but I I actually I got into physiotherapy and I was traveling at the time when I found out I got into physiotherapy and so just to make sure I really wanted to do it I took the year off reflected a little bit more and then reapplied to the program um, so it I feel like it came from an organic place of just looking at what aspects I wanted to get out of my job. I knew I wanted to be in healthcare. I had always had a positive experience with physiotherapy, and I and I really wanted to be part of someone's rehab through the whole, whole entirety of it, not just the beginning, not just the end. But it was a process. Um, it's a hard question to answer because it really, you know, I really didn't just know right away. You know, I have a good work-life balance, but yeah. I really do love what I do, which oh, is nice. That is nice. Like starting 
out like before you knew you want to do this is it a science background that you come from yeah definitely so that's yeah to get to sort of the roots of it you do an undergrad um, and in physiotherapy the neat thing is you can do any undergrad you just have to have their prerequisite courses of course anatomy physiology and whatnot so physio used to be a bachelor's degree but um, in the last 10 years it's been I think about 10 years it's been a master's degree so I did my undergrad at Dow took the year off and was a hippie for a year and then went back and did my physio degree, which is two years at Dow. So you weren't sure if you wanted to do the master's and go into physio, but you took a year off. Is that like the equivalent of like, I'm going to sleep on it? Totally. Because I think, you know, I felt a little burnt out. I felt like, you know, when I was reflecting on that, I'd been in school since I was, you know, five years old and it feels almost automatic and natural to just jump into the next thing and the next thing. And you know, I felt, what other opportunity in my life am I going to get to just go and have a script that wasn't finished and book a one-way ticket? And and then honestly, re-energize me for my profession, like to actually be excited about going back to school. I still remember when I got my first assignment in physio school, I was so excited to do it because it was, my brain had turned to mush, you know? I couldn't even do the Metro crossword puzzles, which were like four-letter words. So I was so excited to be back in that learning environment. So I think it made me a better student just taking that year off. And I don't necessarily think I was doubting physiotherapy. I think I just was wondering, you know, or just wanted to get a few things checked off my list before I made that commitment. Is physio like a new industry like new ish no we're the ogs we're the we've been around for a long time and that's partly why we're in the hospital and a lot of other like ot's and physios are in the hospital versus other professions because it goes back to we it was started back i believe in world war one especially in response to like all the casualties of war and you know amputees and the um I, th- I believe our profession started from that and grew from there. But it's always been an evidence-based, research-based profession. Be able to prove our interventions are measurable, objective, and safe, and um, best practice. So that's a, so we've been in the hospital forever. I'd say the privatization of it isn't necessarily new, um, but newer. Um, but yeah, no, we've been around for, for a while. With all of the different types of people and then the different conditions you could see in the course of a day, mm-hmm. how is that something that they can prepare you for in school? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The Well, the school definitely prepares you for sure, but they prepare you to be a generalist because one of the great things about physiotherapy is you can work private, you can work public. You could work in spinal cord rehab. You could work with seniors and doing geriatric care. You could be working with kids and pediatrics, or you could be working in my area where I would see a lot of athletes. So it's really diverse. Um, and, you know, it's neat to hear my my friends who work in the hospital and some of the stuff they do. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, yeah, I'm good at my job, but, like, put me in that atmosphere and I'd, I'd swear sink right so it's pretty neat to see the diversity of the program so I say that because that really poses a challenge for the school because they have to prepare you to be a generalist and then you come out of your master's and it's on you to ensure that you're doing some postgraduate education courses and that's one thing I think is really neat about my profession is that there's a lot of opportunity if you want to learn and become an expert and 
continue to grow professionally, there's so many opportunities for you to do that. So I guess to answer your question, it prepared me for sure, but myself, my colleague um, David and at Ainsley and um, my colleague Daniel, we're all in the process of, or have, or in still in the process of doing extra um, diplomas and certifications to make sure we're at the top of our game in what we want to focus on. What is your actual day like? So everyone knows that you see people and it's like a very physical job. Mm-hmm. What's your day like? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it it's a deeper question with layers because you know it depends as a physiotherapist it depends if you work public versus private at my clinic we're a manual therapy based clinic we all have additional extra sort of certifications and um really well like I said manual therapist so just like you said using our hands so I am lifting pushing pulling cracking massaging, needling people all day. And we I know that's a it's a weird visual, but there is no room for, for paperwork unless um, I get a cancellation or my employer is protective of what we call administrative time. So we get a couple um, spots a week to do formal letters and things like that. But that's probably one of the hardest parts of my job is not the treatment side is fitting the paperwork in. And uh, presumably you're not like excited. Are, is that like a, actually a good break? Like do you no, think? No, <laughs> not at all. If I could, the funny joke I always say, and if you come to the clinic and you hear me say this, I've said this like 50 times in a week is, is I'd rather treat you than do paperwork because I'm guilty of that where if a client comes a little early and I had a cancellation, I'll, it's bad. I should just do my paperwork, but I would much rather do treatment. So finding administrative time is tough. And each, depending on if you're in the hospital versus private versus whatever, your demand of those administrative things might change. So, but like, do you ever, you must get um, like physically fatigued in your like hands and arms and stuff. Oh my gosh. And I feel like as I get older, it's getting worse. Um, You know, I have to, clients will always say, you know, oh, I guess you don't have to go to the gym because your job (laughs) is so physical. But it would be very hypocritical of me not to because I'm I the same habitual motor patterns and postures that bring you in with dysfunction. Yeah, for those at home, he is slouching like a gremlin <laughs> right now. Um, those same behaviors, patterns, habitual postures are what create muscle imbalances and things that need to be addressed in clinic. And so I'm not I'm not you know immune to that. So I have to go and make sure I'm working the antagonist, the opposite of those muscles, so I don't end up on the treatment table. I'm only kind of learning about, I think, what you just mentioned there. You said the antagonist of those muscles. Yeah. Is that essentially your, like for rock climbing, which is most common to me, you're always pulling. Yeah. And like closing your fist. Yeah. Everything muscle with that. And then the tendency is for people not to do any pushing exercises. Yes. So what happens if you don't, like if you just do that to the extreme. Totally. So that's a, that's a great question because that's I think that really is why I think our clinic is successful is because we take a biomechanical approach and look at your body like we would a car. You know, you can have all the right parts, but if a screw is a little loose or the belt is a little weathered or something's a little bit off, you don't need to replace the whole thing. You just need to tighten a few things. So balance in the body is really important because, you know, at the end of the day, um, joints or muscles, 
they can be made the bad guy because they're the source of your pain, but really it's because you made their work life or their work balance area unconditional for what you need it to do. So sometimes, you know, it's neat how someone can go from really in a lot of pain to not at all just by giving the joint what it needs. Because essentially, my favorite thing to say is your body is the most efficient machine in the world. It will find the least amount of energy to do the task that you want it to do. So if you're strong in your pullers, why would it all of a sudden start recruiting the pushers on that wall? Unless you ask it to, unless you engage it, it's not going to spend that energy. So, you know, you have to sort of be patient with your body because it is trying to do the best it can do, but sometimes we don't give it everything it needs. And so for things like, like I feel like most types of activities, except for swimming, kind of are bad for you. I don't a little bit like jogging is the always the example like think of it how you know especially as you're older like there's no way you cut it jogging is hard on your knees yeah has there been times where you have people come in and they're very healthy mm-hmm. they love being active but they do these activities that just over time wear down parts of their body and you have to be like you got to find a substitute for jogging yeah well you picked a very hot topic because my Client, um, my clinic treats a lot of runners. We're known for treating a lot of runners. We treat lots of non-runners, um, but that is a, a hot question because it's for a lot of people. Running is not just a form of physical activity. It's their mental release. It's their stress release. It's it's a lifestyle. So it takes a lot for me to take someone out of their activity because there's so many other benefits that I would argue counter the negative of the impact. As soon as you take someone, especially runners, off the road, other things start to fall apart. So a client said to me about how when you have your old beater car where, you know, if you park her and leave her for yeah. a couple of weeks, she may not start. Right, but yeah. if you just drive it, just not no highway driving, you just, you know, bump around the city, everything stays just a little bit greased, everything stays a little bit warm, so it's good. But as soon as you park her, she may not turn back on. And I thought that was a really good way of, of thinking about, you know, keeping people as active as possible within the restrictions and making sure they're safe. It becomes about, can we make tweaks to the amount of volume you're putting through your joints? So, you know, can we run four times a week and do some cross training or some swimming or get you on the bike instead of doing, you know, get your cardio that way? So, yeah. So, I, I mean, that's a challenge in my job, but I like that challenging part of it. You're giving me a far better idea of how broad uh, physio is. Yeah. So with that said, wouldn't there be sometimes when somebody comes in with one issue, but it turns out like they have a few different things that are going on? Like what if it's not really uh, actually a physio problem? Yeah. When someone presents with an impairment, an issue, it's multidimensional. Okay. So sometimes with a client, they have an osteoarthritic knee, but they're also diabetic. And they also have, you know, maybe some weight management issues or, you know, for example, I had a client once that came to me with bilateral or both sides of their calves hurt. Well, in my differential diagnosis, after I did the assessment, I was like, I don't think this is muscular related. This is vascular. This is blood flow. And sure enough, he, you know, that was the case. And so my point being that like you can't look 
even if you're in my world a joint specific physio or orthopedics you're looking at a whole person with multiple layers to it so it's you know it's definitely it's not just muscles bones and ligaments is it easier to help people if you've played the same sport or done the same activity that they're have been doing or trying to get back to doing you don't have to be an athlete or a former athlete to play or do like to be a physiotherapist okay but I do think having a baseline knowledge of what are the activities that your clients are doing helps you become a better physiotherapist like I you know I play softball so I brag about very few things, but I can hack a ball. And so just being able to know that if my client is playing third, they need to be able to throw to first, you know, like, or, you know, just like the demand versus like if they were just catcher or um, you rock climb, I rock climb as well. So I know exactly like what demands are being placed through your body. And I know how to structure your workouts because I've done it, right? Even the newest trend right now is everyone's doing pickleball. Pickleball is legit as well. And I played with my mom when I was home. Um, this was last year. And it was great because when I had a client who came in and saying, I like, I want to go back to pickleball, I, you know, I could say to them, I only played it once, but I was like, okay, you're allowed to do this, this, and this, but you can't do this. And we sort of could bond over the fact that they know, I know, I'm not an expert in pickleball, but I have a general sense of what they're trying to do. So I, I assume that, people usually come see you when something isn't quite physically right. Does that ever lead you to working with some challenging personalities? Like everyone's first visit with you is kind of provoked by something negative, at least a little bit. Yeah, totally. And I would say there's no difficult people because <laughs> I, I I would say there's definitely people that are more challenging than others, but how, like right, rightfully so. Sometimes I say I meet people twice I meet them when they first come in and they're in pain. And then I meet sometimes a different person when they leave and they're not in pain and they're back to their activities. Because I don't know about you, but when I can't, like you rock climb, and if you can't rock climb or your injury took you out of that, you start to get a little bit um, shack wacky. You know, I sometimes, the only time I have to be a little bit firm with people is when they've had pain since 2016 And they're only here because their neighbor said they should come see me. And I'm only on visit two. So I usually try to bring a little bit of humor to say, you know, you know, I know, you know, Judy, I'm good, but you got to give me more than two visits, right? And especially reflecting on and acknowledging that it's new for me, but I know you've been dealing with this since 2016. So I totally get why you're, you're feeling like you want to get some progress here, but I need more than two (laughs) visits. But yeah, so I think... Navigating people's expectations is probably a better better way to say it because I think people's personalities come through that. Well, it sounds like you're, I mean, have a great deal of empathy for these people. If, yes. you know, as you said, you can put yourself in their shoes. It's like, I would be not the best person. I would not be my best self if I hadn't done my favorite thing in Exactly. Yeah, definitely. And I think you can't be a physiotherapist without having empathy for your clients. Um, and you're right there on the sidelines with them, right? Especially since, you know, maybe they have seen an orthopedic surgeon or maybe they have seen a sport med doc or their GP and they've all said, this is what you need to do. So, you know, they have a lot of 
pressure and weight in these appointments because it's, you know, it's what they're hoping that will help them allow them to sleep through the night or play with their grandkids or do the Boston Marathon, you know. So it's there's a lot of emotion, emotionally charged moments that come in these sessions. Can you describe a little bit more of like what's it like when someone came in in a bit of a mess and then you see them, a, you know, six months to a year later and they're like, I'm good. Like, yeah. Thank you so much for helping. Yeah. It's, it's a really great feeling. And, you know, physio doesn't fix everybody, but for a large majority of people, it does. And, you know, it's really neat to see and meet people again when they're meeting their goals. Like, I'll never forget. I had this one gentleman, like, he just, what a sin. He was just really miserable. He was in a lot of pain. And I'm not going to lie, I had a little bit of anxiety when he would come into the clinic because, or I saw him in my schedule because I just, I just genuinely was like just frustrated that not at him, but just that we weren't hitting the goals of where we were hitting. I wasn't sure if he necessarily was receiving the treatment well. Like there's all kind of factors and I, being self-reflective, internalize that and go, well, you know, what else can I do? And it would just be really anxious, right? Or I would feel really anxious about it. And uh, yeah, but I, I, I'm not gonna lie, I wouldn't necessarily look forward to him coming in. And oh my God, like, I think it was like, you know, two months later, he comes back in and I swear he was wearing color in his outfit. His hair was volumized and gelled a little bit different. And I was like, oh my God, who is this guy? And he was like, you know, I slept for the first time this week. I slept a whole week, like through the night, didn't wake up with pain. And I'm not saying this story to be like, oh my gosh, I fixed him. Not at all. I'm just saying that like I met a different person and it was so cool to like connect with him when he was being his best version of himself compared to where he first started. Um, and that was really cool. I just was like, oh, my God. He was like, what a nice day. The birds are chirping. I was like, what is going on? So, again, pain is a powerful motivator um, for shaping people's behaviors, activities, personalities. So it's addictive to, like, not only help people finish their Ironman race or, you know, their a PB, their marathon. It's just as addictive to have someone like that guy come in and just, and sleep and sleep like you know Mm. be able to put his pants on you know the little things like it's it's a really it fills your cup it definitely fills fills your cup for sure even though it's not about me that's just a side benefit of of helping people reach their goals that you you do leave with you know a good feeling yeah for sure and so when you mentioned uh getting the client to where they need to be uh that was and I hadn't really thought of that before. You mentioned that uh, to me earlier. And from what you said, if you're seeing a good physio, this should not be a like a indefinite relationship. No. <laughs> no. That's, oh, you struck a nerve with that one. I'm not trying to be on a moral pedestal at all because it's I'm not going to do that. But I am trying to create a world where you do not need me. And that is my only pet peeve, and that could be in physio, chiro, osteo, naturopath, whatever it is. If that model of care is relying on that client coming in 
every week for your treatment that you provide and you have no exit strategy as a practitioner, you don't have anything to empower the client through exercise and education. And that model just is um, not sustainable. It does not empower the client and it, it creates a sense of dependency that I think is inappropriate. You know, I, I think we, again, not trying to get preachy, but our job is to figure out a way to give you the tools to manage this on your own. And I think that's an important goal to always keep at the forefront of your brain because, yeah, people love to be cracked and people love to get, you know, massaged. And I have clients where I have to push the appointments because it's like you don't really need to come in or I make it focused on therapeutic exercise program. Um, but no, that's a big, that's a hot topic for sure. Because I, I, I think that's a dangerous model to get stuck in. But it's a great business model. I know. <laughs> if you've done the treatment and it's worked mm-hmm. essentially as much as it can, <clears throat> then it's, I can imagine that being kind of weird for you to be like, uh, the person emails back, be like, hey, I'm ready for my next appointment, same time next month. And then you have to be like, actually, yeah, no, you shouldn't come in again. Yeah. Or I'm a little bit gentler because I just like, I have some clients who say, I need to book in with you once a month so that I know I have to look you in the eye and tell you I, I've been doing my exercises. If that's the goal, then that's great. You know, so it's, I shouldn't say um, that I don't hang on to clients. So sometimes I do for different reasons, but there's an intention behind it. And there's always a conversation about, okay, Judy, I think you're fine. Like we're good to go. Like you, your back's moving great. You've done a great job, your core, you know what not to do in yoga. You're going to be good and, you know, fly out of the nest. (laughs) So, but yeah, that's probably my biggest pet peeve is where it's like, okay, well, you know, what exercise is, what's the plan, you know, because they really should have an exit strategy. Um, yeah, so the, I think that's super, super important. If your physiotherapist or anyone who you're, who is giving you treatment can't explain why they're doing what they're doing, that should be a little bit of a red flag. But sometimes it can be easy just to go through the motions. But I'm not threatened at all if a client asks me, well, why did you give me eccentric exercises instead of this? Well, I can say, well, Barry, you know, this is this is what we see. This is what works. This is, you know, why. And not only do I think that builds trust and rapport between me and the client, now he knows that, you know, this is the best approach for what we need to do. With physiotherapy, I guess you are trying to get a change in people, but like you're trying to make sure that change is uh objective change or measurable change because yeah. yeah, exactly. you know sometimes a client will go to various treatments it could be physiotherapy too i'm not saying that we're immune to this but you're on your sixth treatment and you don't even know if you're getting any better and that's really inappropriate there should be a stopping point or a, a reflection point because it's amazing how some people will just go and go and go for years and then I think, well, wouldn't you think if I'm going for years every week to get that adjustment or whatever this is, like, am I really creating sustainable change? So that's the only time I get a little nervous with whether it's a, a certain philosophy of practice or or a product. It's like, is it working? Because, you know, you keep buying those things every week. And, you know, so it's hard to balance that placebo effect. Speaking of placebos, 
where does joint cracking fit in all of this? So I, I've only had my back cracked maybe once or twice, uh, a handful of times anyway. But when it does crack, it really does feel so good. Totally. But I would argue that, you know, what's your intention with them with the crack is because it's short-term pleasure short-term pleasure yeah (laughs) totally because you know i I always use the analogy especially if a joint needs to be manipulated i don't know if this is a is a as a good comparison but like when you're pushing a grocery cart in a in a grocery store and one of the wheels turns kind of half sideways and it won't go forward a manipulation is kind of like when you kick that wheel get it forward and everybody's moving but Kicking that wheel is not the hard part. It's keeping that wheel straight. And that's that's my point about the therapeutic exercise, a model of care where you have the tools to not need this every week is it's the ultimate party trick. I could crack you every week if you want, but it's not that's not sustainable and it's not effective. You need to make sure you're giving clients something to help that wheel stay forward. How do people's perceptions of what you do match up with what you actually do? I think some people have a good baseline of what they think of what physiotherapy is. But often in my job, I get a lot of like, you know, do you have different training or do you do like, how come you're different than what I've experienced? Yeah. And it's like, Mm. no, you know, it's this is the fun part that we're trained to do is put our hands on people and, and make change with our hands. And so... So when you ask about family and friends, it is hard sometimes when, you know, someone has said, you know, I tried physio, it didn't work for me. And yeah, a little bit of my soul dies a little bit because it's like I want and competitiveness in me. I want to be like, well, you know, come to my clinic and I'll I'll fix you. I'll see how it, how it is. And not because I have an ego, just because I have a professional pride that I just want them to, I want everybody to always have a positive experience of physiotherapy. So it's funny, even my dad going to his physiotherapist, he loves he loves his physiotherapist and he's telling me all the things that they told him to do in the exercises. And I'm going, I told you all of that last Christmas. <laughs> and, you know, because it's coming from me, it's different. But I'm I'm lucky. My dad really likes his physiotherapist and he's having a great, um, you know, great experience, which is really nice. When you think back to like your childhood or your parents, like when they saw you going to this, were like... Oh yeah, of course she's gone into yeah, health. Of totally. course she's gone into yeah. Yeah, That's that obvious. was that was a given. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and they just knew I wanted to help people. I just didn't, you know, didn't know exactly how and what capacity I was going to do that. But that was always a something that needed to be checked off the list. Why and was that a given? Just I don't know. I just the way I was raised and and um, my parents, their professions. My mom was a guidance counselor for like. 30 years and my dad had a really cool job he did what's called assistive technology so if you had an intellectual or physical disability he would use technology to help you communicate ambulate socialize an extreme example would be if you had a neuromuscular uh, degenerative disease like ALS um, where you lose um, you know or Lou Gehrig's disease you lose all you know function in your body but you can move your hand he would get you hooked up to turning your TV on independently or, you know, speech programs with eye switches. And, you know, so it was really neat to be in that world. So I don't think I can be a product of two parents that give so much and not grow up with feeling like I want to do the same. Well, I'm thinking now, so both of those professions you just described for your parents, 
both of those are very much should be limited. Like if in your dad's case, like he wants to get you that thing so you're more independent. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to be seeing you. Like he wants to hear a year later that you're doing great by yeah. yourself. But like that's kind of what you were saying. Wow. Like you don't want to be seeing these people yeah. indefinitely. I've never thought about that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, maybe it's subconsciously rubbed off of me. Yeah, that's really neat. I've never thought about that before. Do you have any siblings? I have a younger sister and she's a musician. She took a very Ah. different, she's way cooler, (laughs) way more talented than I am. But it's so neat to see the same genetics, but two different um, choices in life. And we're very similar, but then yet we're very different, you know, so it's neat. Yeah. So that same environment uh, nurtured a creative artist, which is pretty cool. Did you think in high school that you'd be in a health profession? Definitely. Really? Just didn't just didn't know like what, you know, I wasn't one of those people who said, I want to do this exact thing, but I knew generally that I wanted to be in healthcare. And it's, you know, it's a safe option too, in the sense that it's not going anywhere. You know, unfortunately, people are only getting sicker and I want to be part of that movement to you know, impact our healthcare system, even if it's a small fraction. Um, And so I I knew I wanted to be part of that dialogue. I just didn't know what role I would play in that. As a bit of context for the listener, I actually met Jesse a while ago uh, when I went in for a physio appointment myself. So she was the therapist and it was really a great experience. Jesse, you were super helpful. Uh, But what about your personality do you think meshes so well with this profession? I think, um, well, thank you for saying that. Um, you know, I think it's tough to talk about yourself, but I think I just love that I get to meet really great people all the time. And I'm, uh, and I have some people who just want to come in and get treatment and leave. And I have some people that, you know, I'm honored that they want to open up to me and, and tell me about themselves. And, and I, I love that part. So my personality, I think I just love meeting new people and hearing their stories and, you know, I'm naturally really competitive, so I think that blends well with my profession that I am, I want to get you better. Like, I want to get you better, faster, and again, you know, create a world where you don't need me. I sort of measure my effectiveness on if you haven't had to come back in. I think that's a good indication that you've been able to get where you need to be. I'm naturally always curious. Like, I, I really want to learn more and get better. I think you have to be very humble in our profession, too, because... It's almost like they don't know what they don't know. You know, I'm always interested in see things that I want to continue to to learn about and challenge myself professionally. And I think that's a personality trait that will really draw you to physiotherapy is always just wanting to learn and, and self-improve. Um, yeah, I like I like working at like a pretty high intensity I find it exhausting at times, but I, I like that I'm constantly stimulated, whether physically or intellectually. So I find that part of my personality gets satisfied with my job. And I, yeah, I think I just, I get a little bit of a high helping people. You know, I work with some pretty incredible clients that do some pretty incredible things. And it's a neat, satisfying feeling to know I played even a small wedge in their success. Um, I definitely don't take all the credit. I, I always joke with clients, you did all the work. I just bossed you around because I, I do truly want to make sure they know as much as they want to give me credit that like you did the work. Natural curiosity, a little bit of competitiveness, 
I, I want to really help people. I like that intense kind of environment. Um, I think those are the personality traits that drew me to the profession. Can you give me an example of maybe one of the less obvious things that you see on a uh, somewhat of a regular basis and it makes people successful in their rehab or their physical ther- therapy uh, processes? The support of their peers, I think, sometimes is a bigger factor. So then I could have anticipated, like I had a client once at an old job that I used to work at where he lost, he had lost a good 60 pounds and he looked great. He was making all these lifestyle choices and and I said, are you going to keep it up? Because, he, you know, he did unfortunately need to lose quite a bit more weight. And he said, oh, no, like, you know, don't want to. People are saying and commenting, I'm looking sick and I'm looking ill. And, uh, you know, I should stop. Nobody's recognizing me. And I just reflected on that. I was like, that's so sad. That's not, you know, how much his identity was grained into the face that he saw in the mirror and how his success probably was a little bit intimidating to other people. Because a lot of people want to do what he's doing. They just don't know where to start. Um, and that's that starting part, that's the hardest part. You take for granted when you're someone who did athletics and, and, and you know was involved in sports and grew up in a family, a lifestyle where healthy foods and choices was just part of your routine, that how intimidating it can be to even go to a gym. And what if you can't afford a gym? Okay, right? Or what if you don't have access to it? Like, we have to sort of change the definition on what active means and give, empower people with tools to make them feel successful. Because a lot of times, people's negative reaction to other people's success is because they want to do it too and they don't know how. I'm so inspired by people that I know have all the things stacked in front of them to not be active. And they still are. And I'm just so impressed. Like, it's so inspiring. Sometimes that, to me, is more inspiring than someone finishing their Ironman, third Ironman race. Because it's like you work full time. You're a single mom. You, you know, trying your best. And you make time every other day to do yoga or Pilates or go for walks or swim. You know, that, it takes effort. Uh, All these things about, like, you know, uh, having a sports background and then like really now in your professional life, just super diving into like the human body yeah, and how it all works together. Does that change the way you kind of experience life? Oh, for sure. Like I just started biking to commute to work and I'm so nervous about falling on my hands. Like, and cause if something happens to my hands, like I'm, I'm out of a job. Like I can't work. And so, like, I'm a pretty, like, I like a lot of adventure. I like doing fun, exciting things. But sometimes I'll sort of do a little algorithm in my head, like, hmm, if I fall and I hurt myself, you know, what are there? Yeah, honestly, I'll (laughs) sacrifice my face before I fall on my hands. So those little lifestyle changes for sure. Yeah. What about if you're, like, walking down the street and you see someone who's just got a limp or, like, are you able to, like, for me, I wouldn't notice that. Oh, I stare for days. If I can get different angles of that walk, I'm so curious. I'm very careful, though, not... I've never crossed the line at, like, unsolicited advice or just, hey, hey, you know, you should not do that, especially if you're at the gym and you're seeing someone working out and they're doing something really bad. I just sort of turtle and cocoon and don't look to... Just because I, you know, it's inappropriate for me to go up and, and say something, but, you know, so it's just... Talking about physical activity is just... 
my favorite thing in the world because I just think it's so therapeutic on so many levels. And Listen, I totally agree, Jesse. I think fitness should be far more standard uh, in our society than it currently is. But I do have to wind down here, Jesse. Is there anything else that you wanted to cover or that we missed? I don't think there's anything else. Like, we covered everything. I just hope I sounded okay. Now you're, you're sounding great. Thank you very much for coming, Jesse. Tremendously appreciate it. Yeah, well, thanks for letting me talk about the profession that I love. And uh, yeah, it's uh, hopefully I've inspired someone who was maybe on the fence about physiotherapy to consider it, you know, as a future profession. And all I can say is I'm really glad that I picked it. And uh, it's kind of nice to reflect on my profession because we don't really get to do that very much. So thank you for giving me that opportunity. Since Jesse helped me get over my sore sternum, I've had a far better appreciation and awareness for maintaining a better physical balance with my body. So thank you for getting me climbing again, Jesse, and thanks for shining a light on how you do what you do for a living. Okay, so normally at this point, I'd make some sort of witty connection between the interview you just heard and the next guest. But as of today, ladies and gentlemen, that's it. But, I mean, if you just can't sit with being left in the lurch like this, go ahead and listen to my finale reflections-type episode and get that closure we're all seeking. Until then, we'll see you next time on How To.